Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time again for another episode of Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. Join us as we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving the market today to find the best solutions going forward with the man who always finds the best solutions, Barry Saywitz. Thanks again. Uh, we're back here to talk some more real estate. I'm Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and Saywitz Properties. And in my 30 plus years of commercial real estate, I've been on all sides of the deal as a buyer and a seller, a landlord and a tenant, a broker and a principal. And I've learned to take a hard look at both sides of a transaction and try and come up with the best solution for uh, dealing with commercial real estate and the ebbs and flows in the market. And so here we are again today. Uh, Let's get to it. Let's talk real estate. Uh, Before we start up, I want to give a shout out uh, to my two brothers, uh, my middle brother, Jeff, and my younger brother, Rob, both of whom are at home living the COVID dream and not going into the office, which is their circumstances are very similar to a lot of people's in today's world and and affect what we're going to talk about today in the office market. And with us today as our guest is the esteemed Dave Colton, CEO of Colton Properties and longtime real estate owner and investor in Orange County and uh, throughout California. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Barry, and thank thank you for having me. Yeah. So today's uh, topic, we're going to talk office space. We're going to talk the office market. That is your specialty. That was your niche and is... Uh, and has been for a long time. And and you've seen a lot of things in terms of the growth and and also the ebbs and flows of the real estate market, particularly here in Orange County and throughout Southern California over your years of of doing it and investing. And I want to start by rewinding a little bit because you started buying properties a long time ago. And when you were buying it, uh, things were a little bit different. The the market was depressed uh, and there was opportunity for, for buying properties. And what was your strategy going into it, and how did you look at deals then? And we'll talk about then uh, what happens in today's market. Well, first of all, I come from an investment banking background. So in when I started acquiring properties in 1993, I was looking at things from the standpoint of pure, pure economics. I didn't have an emotional attachment to real estate, had no history or background seeing the cycles in real estate. But uh, I focused initially on buying below replacement cost. I figured if you could buy significantly below replacement costs in order for people to build new projects, rents would have to go up to justify new construction. So that was my my basic principle uh, at the beginning. And when you were buying stuff then, was there a lot of competition in the market or not so much? Uh, there was almost no competition. In fact, my the first property I purchased in 1993 was a REO, Bank of America took back the property. And it had sold in 1990 for about $7 million. And now it was April of 1993, and the building was for sale for $1.7 million. Crazy. And I was the only buyer. And, it, and it's even worse. There, uh, I didn't have the money to buy it, so B of A was willing to carry back a, a $700,000 loan. So I put up a million dollars. They came up with a $700,000 loan for one year. They gave me the, the opportunity to to raise the balance of money, get the occupancy up, and get additional financing. Yeah, and those were crazy times, and people were trying to just make deals, whatever they could, from the bank's perspective, try and get it off their balance sheet. And uh, I wish that was the case today, but along with it at that time was sort of a disaster with the rest of the economy as well. Right, and I think the other thing, too, is putting it in terms of price per square foot, because many people are looking at price per square foot today, that $1.7 million building I paid $45 a square foot for, the land and the building. 
Yeah, which is crazy in today. Land sells for even more than that just by itself, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And so then let's sort of fast forward. So you start buying these things, and they're at well below replacement costs. You've got to then either find tenants for them, fix them up, combination of the two, and try and get some cash flow from them. Yes, and if you buy at the right price, obviously you can charge lower rent, and that was basically my philosophy. So I basically charged rent that was significantly below my competition, and within within months, within three to six months, I was usually at 100% occupancy or close to 100%. And now you've got cash flow, and then a lot of the problems and the risk of uh, what happened, I bought this building, that's distressed, sort of goes away. Well, and, and, and my confidence increased too, and then I started saying, hey, I'm gonna, maybe I should buy more than one, maybe I should continue this process. And the market gave me about three years with no competition, so I had three years to accumulate a significant amount of property without other people really entering the market on a large scale. And in terms of dealing with the tenants and making deals, I mean, there's there's two things I uh, we've known each other a long time. There's two things, there's more to, more than two things that I like about you. But two of the most prevalent things are number one, we both went to UCLA, uh, and then number two, you like to make deals, right? You're a deal making guy, and so you figure out a way to get it done at the end of the day. Well, that vacant space, the the income from that vacant space is never coming back if you don't have a lease. That was my philosophy, and so I'm, was, my question usually is, what's it going to take to make a deal? And uh, on the office side, which is even more challenging, I guess I'll say, than maybe the retail or the industrial side, is the tenant improvements. Because in, in industrial and retail, you can rent a space as is and say, here it is, just take it. Office, you can't do that. Well, for me, the position I took is I wasn't going to do the improvements. I was willing to give them even lesser uh, cost of rent. So if, let's say, the market was at $1.50 a foot at that time, and I, I didn't want to put up the upfront because I didn't have the money to pay for tenant improvements. I had very little extra cash. I said, I'm, if you take the space as is, um, I'm willing to give you lower rent. But of course, as leases renew and as the market changed, then that wasn't possible. And just like you said, there's a significant cost every five years or so to completely redevelop that pro- that that office space. Yeah, and, and I think you, you know you see some of those dynamics in today's market where when the driving force is what people's bottom line is and what they want to pay in rent. I don't want to say it's for everybody, but for a lot of people, especially when you're struggling and the economy is a struggle, it cheaper's better, right? And so there are people out there, a certain number of them, that are just looking at the cost and don't look at the amenities of the building or the location or some of these other things. They become secondary to cost. And then the cheaper, the better. You're, you're able to attract a certain segment of the market. That, that's true, and I, I had the advantage also. I was able to buy these properties at low prices, that, and also they were in phenomenal areas too. So it wasn't like people had to go out to Corona, Riverside, and San Bernardino to find low, you know, less expensive office space. They could buy space for less, or rent space for less in Orange County than they could in the Inland, Inland Empire at that time. Yeah, and so now let's go, let's fast forward a little bit. You're buying all this stuff in the 90s and into the 2000s, and then the market sort of crashes at the beginning of the 2000s again, right? It's Nothing goes up forever as much as everybody'd like to believe that. There are ebbs and flows of the market, and so early 2000s, it dips again. How do you deal with the downturn in the market. And at that time, it was really a, a bit of downturn in the economy. Then you had the dot bomb. And there's a lot of things going on. It wasn't just the real estate that was struggling. Yeah, what I did is I, I, I became very nervous, like every other landlord. And But the, the I think the key ingredient here is I my cost basis was still significantly lower than my competition. And so I actually went to my, not only did I try and lease new space at a lower price, I went to my existing tenants because I didn't know how long this downturn was going to last and said, if I lower your rent, you know, based on what you're paying today, would you give me some more term now? They call that 
blend and extend. Yep. And I basically moved all of my tenants out three to five years at the bottom of the market. They were happy to get low rent because they couldn't move. They were still obligated to me for a year or two. And so they were willing to give me more term if I was willing to lower the rent. Yeah, and if I put my broker hat on for a second, I mean, we made a lot of deals for a lot of people with a lot of landlords like you and, and others where we would go back and suggest to the tenant the same thing because it was a win-win really for both. I mean, the tenant got a shot in the arm from a cash flow standpoint. The landlord did not have to come out of pocket with a big chunk of change and certainly locked in the cash flow and bought time and sort of kicked it down the road. That's exactly right. And again, I didn't know when the economy was going to recover. And fortunately, it recovered sooner than we thought. And then we're back to doing market deals. Right. And so now let's fast forward. We're into 05, 06, 07. The market's crazy. Rents are as high on the office side as I've ever seen them at that point. And it all looks rosy and everybody's got the blinders on and figures it's never going to stop. And then all of a sudden you have the, um, the recession. Right. And so now what? Same program? Same program. Blend and extend and just kick, like you, as you would say, kick it down the road and just try and keep your tenant even if you had to lower the rent. And at that time, there was at least the opportunity where the banks were in the mix. You could go back and potentially have a conversation with the bank about trying to get some relief because at that point, everyone was in a tailspin. No one really knew how long it was going to last or how far it was going to go. If you've got Bank of America stock at a dollar or two dollars, uh, you know, how, how does that work, right? And so um, I, I found, uh, at least from the properties that we owned, we did a lot of that stuff at that point as well. Well, I, I had probably less leverage uh, than most people because they knew I had a lot of equity still in the property. And so they, you know, I didn't have lenders that were willing to negotiate lower rates with me at that time. And, uh, but the good news is I, I had, you know, my debt was less than most people. And so I could still afford to charge less rent and keep my tenants. And you still went back then at that point, too, uh, not uh, maybe all in one shot. But over that period of time, you were still buying up more property with other people's troubles, right? Well, my, my, my last acquisition was actually in 2004. So I bought just before the next major run-up because I was already nervous in 2004 that things were high. And for a couple of years, I thought that I, was, that I made a mistake, that I should have continued to buy. I would have made a lot more money. But then when the property started coming down in value in 2007 and 8, following the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy, yeah. then I started feeling much better about myself. So now we come to pre-COVID is where I'll call it, right, in the chain of the real estate market. Again, rents are at an all-time high in 2019. They're above even the, the peak in 2006 and 2007. Everything looks rosy. And now it's beyond everyone's control. And now no one's working in an office and people are working from home and nobody knows what the future ultimately will hold. And so here we are. But for you, you've embarked on a strategy of sort of uh, wind it down. And, and whether it's luck or knowledge or a combination of the two, uh, very fortuitous from your strategy. Yes, I had acquired 110 office buildings from uh, 1993 to 2004, and I began liquidating those properties in 2014. And I've sold all of them but four. Um, and I sold many of them, as you can see around the county, to developers who were looking at my properties in great locations and saying, can we convert this three-story office building into 1,200 units of apartments? Yeah. So many of the apartment projects that people are seeing being developed around the airport area, that was on property that I owned that was office space at one time. Yeah, and so now, really, the value of the property that you bought is not even based on the rent that you're getting, although that was a good number anyway by itself. It's based on really highest and best use, which is really something totally different. 
Yes, I, I, as a matter of fact, I bought Colton Plaza just to get an idea of the value created when people can come in and scrape and build multifamily on an office property. I paid $60 a foot to buy Colton Plaza, and I sold it for $450 a square foot to someone who was going to basically tear it down. Yeah, and they're going to make it work, and they're going to make money even at that number. Yes. Right? And so it's crazy that that, and that is prime real estate, right? Right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we're Colton Plaza. It's right across from John Wayne Airport. And so, uh, back in the day, uh, it was just another piece of land, and now it's really a, a prime location. So, in in terms of with the COVID, so I want to talk about today's market, and then I want to get your opinion on where you think it's going going forward. You have all these companies still struggling to try and get back to work. You have employees that are now saying, "Hey." Either I want to go back to work because I'm sick of working at home, I'm sick of dealing with my spouse or my kids or my dog or whatever. And then you have others that go, hey, I love this. This is great. I can work on the couch in my underwear. I can go for a walk around the block, and and I'm good with it. I want to come back. And so how does that affect, in your opinion, what happens to the need for office space going forward? There's going to be less uh, demand for office space, um, principally because the people that are occupying space are reevaluating their situations and their, when their leases come due, at least my tenants, many of them have said, we, we, we'll stay, but we, we need less space. Yeah. And I've, I've even gone to them, same, same concept as the blend and extend, if I let you downsize early, will you stay? And um, I've seen uh, so many situations. Uh, I have a, as I mentioned to you before we went on the show, I have a friend of mine that works for UCI Medical and she basically was working out of her home, and she, uh, they said she could stay working out of her home, so she bought a place in Sacramento, left Orange County because she couldn't afford a place here. And there's a lot of that going on. They're, they're not, some of those people aren't coming back. They're never going to come back to an office space. And, there, and there's some industries and some jobs where you can just work from home, and it's totally fine. Now, it may not be fine from a interpersonal dynamic where you don't have that interaction, you don't have that collaborative experience, but from the concept of I don't need to get in the car, I don't need to spend money on gas, I don't need travel time, those are all benefits to an employee to do that. Now, there are other industries where you just simply can't do it, right? Yeah, well, there's, a, there's people who have taken the position as people, when you watch the news and you say that there's all these jobs available and people aren't taking the positions, employees uh, realize right now, or potential employees, that they, have, they, they, can, they can demand certain things. And, and working from home is one of those demands that many of them are making. And I'm not sure that it's ever gonna go back to the way that it was. And as you said, some companies, it, it's a requirement, but a lot of other companies, they can reduce their cost and also create an environment for their employee that is is uh, preferable. Yeah, well, and, and look, the the dynamic of dealing with traffic uh, and spending a couple hours in a couple, uh, of your day is just not an exciting proposition for anyone. As an employer, you don't want your employee showing up a half an hour late saying, hey, there was an accident on the freeway, you've lost productivity. And as an employee, you just don't want to sit in the car. Yeah, that's right. And and one of the things that I think is also happening here in, in Orange County, particularly, and in California, is a lot of companies are leaving the state. And the reason they're leaving the state is because of the taxes, they're leaving the state because there's not there's no home, home affordability is very difficult, and so that's also going to be putting um, uh, demands on you know office space from the standpoint of do you do you actually want to be in this area and in lease space in Orange County when you can lease space somewhere else and provide housing for your people in those locations like Texas and Florida are the ones getting most of the news. Yeah, no, uh, for sure I agree with that, and you know we I talk to uh, CEOs of corporations all the time. 
And it's not that they don't need any space. It's just that they need different space. And and, and nobody 100% knows what it looks like. And then the risk that you run is you take too little space and then you wind up needing more and, and can't get it. At the same time, no one wants to pay, pay on space they're not using. The other thing that I've found, and I'm curious your opinion, is that the buildings that have extra amenities um, really have a far more attractiveness to them uh, relative to the employees for retention or for attractiveness. So whether it's a putting green that we built at our office building or an outdoor picnic area or a bocce ball area uh, or a basketball court, things where people can get out of the office, go blow off some steam or, or just not be stuck in the office all day, all day, I think those buildings will fare better going forward than ones that don't. Absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I, as I look at the marketplace today, you know, the high-end Class A buildings, there's limited space in those buildings. And I think people that were in, let's say, buildings that didn't have those amenities will attempt to migrate to the nicer buildings. And what's going to happen is just like what happened before in the early 90s, the buildings that, let's say, don't have those amenities and the buildings that are older, they're, gonna, they're the ones that are going to be in trouble. Yeah. I agree with that. And I also think, though, as we discussed, real estate's a cycle, right? So so rents have probably, in my opinion, have come down 10 to 20 percent uh, for office space, depending upon where you go and who you talk to. Um, I, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are as to whether you think that's sort of the bottom and it will start to work its way back up gradually, or you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? Well, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, actually. And the reason I do is I think that uh, if you're a tenant, it's a good time to be a tenant. Uh, and again, I, I don't have a crystal ball for sure, but I think that uh, as interest rates go up, it's going to be more expensive for people to do business. And I think that the, you know, I'm concerned about the overall economy and, and, its effect, and, and the effect that the overall economy will have on, on office space and real estate in general. Yeah, and I, I listened to the UCLA economic forecast uh, last week and have uh, sat in on others. I think uh, the general consensus is going to be a struggle for the next six months. Beyond that, it'll be difficult to predict for anybody where it goes. But it is an opportune time. If you do need office space, if you're out there looking, if you're a tenant, you'll have options. And you'll make a better deal, certainly, than you did before COVID started. What I would, what we tell people and we tell our clients is, if you're going to make a deal and you're going to be in business and you know it and you can see the future, you should be signing a long-term lease because it will go up again and you will pay more money later on. And so as a landlord, if I flip it around and put the landlord hat on, if I can kick the can down the road a couple of years and the market's better, then then I can just renew my tenant at a higher number and, and, and get past this little blip in, in what we're doing. So uh, it's really a strategy, whether you're the landlord or a tenant, trying to implement it today for the future. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So I'm curious your thoughts on the investment side of things on the office space, right? There's really two sides to it. There's the owner-user investment uh, where a company buys a building for their own office space. And then there's the investor guy like yourself who comes along and buys it and then wants to rent it out and ride the rents up or fix the building or whatever they need to do with it. Let's talk about first the owner-user piece of it. Is it a good time for a company to buy a building for their own use in today's market or wait? I I think it really is based on if a company can really forecast what their requirements are are going to be long term. The reason people are tenants generally is they want the flexibility of expanding and contracting over time. When you buy your own building, the question is, are you going to be able to occupy that space? Is it enough space? And that's a question that these these owners of companies have to think about. Um, I certainly think buying today with the interest rates as low as they are makes a lot of sense if you know you're going to be in a location on a long term basis. For other people that are uh, investors, I think it's um, it's a little frightening because interest rates are going up. 
And they may say, well, I'm buying low and I want to sell high, but who's going to buy your property if interest rates are at 6%? you got to look at, at the other end of it. Is your building going to appreciate that much if you got a 2% loan and the market's now requiring you to pay 6% to, to finance real estate? Yeah, and the rent's really got to go up to offset the potential increase in rate. And if you forecast five years down the road, your rates will be up. But if interest rates are up as well, you haven't really picked up any grant or very little. I, I agree. So on the owner-user side, you know, we tell people, I coined a phrase many years ago called the purchase partial leaseback, which is what we did for our own offices. You did it for yours, which is you buy a building bigger than what you need. And you rent out the extra space, so you have extra cash flow. No different than somebody buying a house and having a roommate and renting out a room. It's the the concept is I help defray some of my overhead, and and for those kinds of people, then they have the ability to expand or contract because they have some flexibility, as opposed to just buying what you need and then I outgrew it and I need something different. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that strategy is great, and I think the the key consideration there is you're never going to be able to get interest rate loans as low as they are today. And with the SBA financing on the owner-user smaller stuff, I mean, it's fabulous. So I think if you, if I was uh, a company and I was looking at the, my future as a company, know, knowing that I'm going to be in business for years, um, I would certainly consider making an acquisition, even though the price of real estate is high, but based on a long-term interest rate being low like they are today, it makes a lot of sense. And, and so then let's shift to the investor side, because... The industrial market is hot. I mean, people who are buying office space are now just trying to buy industrial space because the rates are through the roof, and you have industrial buildings selling for $300 a foot, uh, which just seems absurd. And the apartment market, you have stuff selling at two and three cap numbers, and the office market seems to be left alone. Not a lot of trades, not a lot of activity for obvious reasons. Do you buy now or do you wait? I think uh, on the industrial, I you know that's not a, a market that I'm – but on the office side, would you recommend for an investor coming in? I, w- I would wait. Yeah. If I'm an investor for office space, I would definitely wait because there's going to be a lot of inventory available as people leave lower quality buildings for higher quality buildings and the market shrinks <clears throat> principally because um, people are working from home and uh, people are moving out of the state and various things. I think as an investor, it would it's a lot of risk buying today. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And so um, we just have a, a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you, you know, your thoughts for people that are looking. I, I think we've heard a resounding theme, which is if you're a tenant, you should try and go out and make a deal and secure something. And if you're an owner user, the same philosophy would apply. What's a takeaway or what's something that you think about at night in terms of where the market's going and where it's headed to, to leave our viewers with? Well, I would say that long term, if, if you think long term, everything works. And the problem that I see in the marketplace is people look at an opportunity, but if they if, if things don't work out exactly the way they planned, they're they're going to have a financial uh, maybe potential disaster on their hands. I would say that um, we we happen to live in an unusual place, as you know. Uh, people love California, and that's why we continue to have people come here, even though we have taxes. So I think uh, long term, California is a great place to invest. It's just a, it's just really a timing issue, and I think for investors in real estate, um, I would wait probably uh, a year or maybe two because there's going to be better opportunities for those folks. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree at all. California is a great place. The weather's great, and everything else. You've got to navigate some of the other challenges with the restrictions on business and and the cost of doing business here as well. There you have it from Dave Colton. Uh, wait to buy something if you're a tenant. Go make a deal if you're an owner user. Try and make a deal, lock in the interest rates, and and take advantage of the market. Um, So uh, in terms of 
your game plan for going forward since you, you were the second largest uh, landlord in Orange County, and now you're on the verge of uh, being completely liquidated. What's next for you? Well, in the short run, I want to take a vacation. Uh, in, in the long run, I want to take advantage of opportunities. I think when you're in business and you've had uh, success like I have, uh, I'd like to have some more success in the future, but it's really a timing issue, and I'm going to be one of those people in a year or two. Uh, when I see uh, property values drop on the investor side, I'll be acquiring properties again. Yeah, so we have not seen the last of Dave Colton. You have not. I'll, we'll see you post-vacation, I suppose. Absolutely. I hope, <laughs> I hope so. Well, good. Well, thanks, Dave. I appreciate you uh, sharing your insights and uh, the state of the market uh, here in Southern California and throughout. Um, and uh, thanks to everyone here that made the show possible, our producer, Sophia, uh, our engineer and announcer, Paul Roberts, and the whole team here at OC Talk Radio. Uh, I am Barry Saywitz uh, from the Saywitz Company saying thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Real Estate. We'll be here again next week, and we will talk some more. Thanks for listening. have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studio here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.